0: Last Sunday, we talked about grace. We mentioned mercy. We're going to try and do a little focus, more focus on that today. I'll just briefly say at the beginning, if you've ever um, struggled sometimes with what to study on, what to, what to focus on, I highly suggest you consider some of these words that maybe a little more churchy words. You kind of think about grace and mercy and truth and love and if you're really not sure what to do then just turn to the back of your scriptures and look for one of these words and then find a few places where it's mentioned and i guarantee you'll spend a lot of time it's really a challenge sometimes for me to even know where to start and where to stop i think we could probably spend an entire years of sunday working on mercy alone it's so common i think it's uh Somewhere around 460 times it seems to be mentioned in the scriptures, whether it's mercy itself or that concept in different words, but it's prevalent all through the scriptures from the very beginning all the way to the very end. And so it's hard to know, as I said, where to start and where to stop and what to emphasize. We explained last week that grace and mercy, again, are similar, especially in today's language, but they are distinct and should be thought of as two distinct words. They're not the same thing. Mercy has to do with kindness and compassion. Grace includes that idea, but has with it this idea of bestowing a gift or special favor on someone. Mercy is compassion or forgiveness extended to someone who deserves punishment. That's a key and a very important uh, thing for us to understand that mercy is giving someone something that they don't deserve. Giving them mercy. If you have a uh, punishment for something you did and you don't get that punishment, that's mercy. It's not a punishment that you didn't deserve. And that's very important when we think about mercy in the scriptures, because we must all remember that we are deserving of punishment. We have all missed the mark. It's really that one of the definitions of of sin. And of course, the definition of sin goes much deeper than that. And so I don't want to make it too trivial, but it is this idea as I showed the younger ones this morning, an arrow, this idea that we're missing the mark. We're all aiming for something and we all miss. And that's what sin is. We strive for the right thing. We have a goal to do the right thing. Something inside of us tells us what the right thing is. There's also other things inside of us that cause us to miss the mark and to sin. And because of that sin, we deserve a separation from God. We deserve punishment. But because of his mercy, right, he isn't going to give us that punishment. So a few little things about mercy as we begin to kind of make sure we understand and set the stage. Mercy is a quality of God, an attribute of God. We spent, I think, 10 or 12 weeks looking at the attributes of God about a year ago. I highly encourage you to go back every once in a while and listen to one or all of those sermons. One I don't think I picked uh, because it was nearly impossible to come to a conclusion they had to at some point is mercy. Mercy. And 2 Corinthians one, three says that uh, God is the father of mercies. He is in fact, mercy. And one of the things we talked about, we talked about the attributes or parts or characteristics of God is not that God is like 5% mercy and 20% justice and et cetera, but that God is simply this and all of these things. God is mercy. And if we want a picture and understanding of what mercy is, then we look to the one who is mercy and God is mercy that mercy. As we said, all through scripture, mercy is associated with the idea of forgiveness, that we're going to be forgiven for something. And mercy is actually preferred above sacrifice. Those who are reading along through the Daily Audio Bible with us again this year, we're heavy into the part of the scripture where we see very specific details about how much flour and how it should be moistened and this animal or that animal and these types of sacrifices. But what we know above all that is that is a picture of the requirement of things that have to be done without the sacrifice of blood. There is no forgiveness of sin. And we also understand that it is very clear, both in the old Testament and in the new, that what is preferred above a sacrifice is obedience and mercy. Hosea 6, 6 says, for I desired mercy and not sacrifice. And I really thought about going into this great detail of what the mercy seat is. It's described in the tabernacle, this idea that there is uh, the the Ark of the Covenant that contains the law of God and a few other things. And on top of it, to cover it from the presence of man is this mercy seat, this idea that there is something, there is mercy that is going to stand in the gap between an almighty, all-holy God and the rest of us. And this idea that Jesus Christ would become mercy for us, the propitiation, which is a very old English word that I've preached on before, and there is not a better word to explain that in the New Testament if you want to do a word study on that. This idea that he paid the price for us by demonstrating mercy by being that thing that separates me from a righteous God. Jesus Christ is mercy. Mercy is also a spiritual gift. Romans 12, 6 through 8 lists some of the the gifts. It says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. And there, I think in verse 8, it says, the one who does acts of mercy to do it with cheerfulness. And so some of us are more merciful than others because that is something that God has given us to do. And if he's given us the gift of mercy, then we should be merciful and we should do it cheerfully. We should do all the things that God tells us to do cheerfully. Now, just because it is a gift, it doesn't mean that some of us get to have mercy and other of us don't. But Simply, some of us have the ability and the resources to give more mercy than others. How many of you know somebody like that? Maybe not just have patience, but has a great, deep sense of mercy. And so if that is a gift that God has given you, you should certainly, as it says here, do it cheerfully, and you should make sure you use that. Mercy also endures forever. Several places this is talked about in Jeremiah and Psalms. Mercy. Endures forever. And some have translated that word mercy and instead say uh, steadfast love. And that's the, again the idea of mercy that we'll be loved continuously despite what we do and that this lasts forever. God loves us forever. But today I want to look in Ephesians. If you'd like to turn there with me, I'll be there for a few minutes. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. I want to read the first. Eight verses, I believe, and you'll recognize the last verse is one we read last week as well. And within this chapter, you will see, again, this idea of grace and mercy mixed in, not interchangeably, in there for a specific reason and a specific purpose. So Ephesians chapter 2. And you, he has quickened. I'll pause there just for a minute. When we talk about quickened, we talk about being made alive. That's what that word means. So when you, he has quickened you who were dead in trespasses and sin, wherein in time past, you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our uh, conversions in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the minds and we're by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who, in his ri- who is rich in mercy, for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved. And hath raised us up together, and made us to sit together in heavenly pra- places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his mercy and his kindness toward us through Jesus Christ. For by grace, you are saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I hope at least those last two verses are familiar to you. They're often foundational texts of our faith today. And maybe you didn't realize how this first part of this chapter leads into this concept. So let me go back to the top and look at verses 1 through 3. These are the ones we like to skip because they tell us the truth about who we are. Paul is describing the state of humanity, the state of ourselves, and explaining that we are in an active rebellion against God. Again, going back to how I began and how I started last week as well, we must remember that when we sin, when we are disobedient, when we do the things that God doesn't want us to do, or when we don't do the things that God wants us to do, there's sin both ways there, we are actively rebelling against the very God who made the world, who made you. We are rebelling against him. We are disobedient to him. And because of all this, we are dead in our sins. Hopeless, helpless. Can a dead person revive himself? No. It takes something acting on the outside through the inside of a person to bring them back to life to revive them. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. And what that means is because we were born into sin and because we continue to sin, we are eternally separated from God and we are dead to him. And we don't even know it sometimes. Living our lives, walking around, thinking we know what's going on, thinking we're making plans about tomorrow and the future. when in reality, we are dead. We are controlled by this sin nature and we are doomed to be separated from God and the reality is of all this the first three verses tell us we deserve God's punishment And again, this sets up the concept of both grace and mercy. This sets up the uh, the very essence of the gospel that we are separated from God and we deserve to be separated. We deserve to be punished. But for Jesus Christ, who came and paid my price, his grace and his mercy to pardon me from something I did wrong. I would continue in this state. There's nothing we can do to help ourselves at all. I mentioned this last week, without the grace of God, without him uh, sending his son to die for us, we will die alone because we are alone, because everything that we do is counterproductive to who God is. The very essence of who we are is wrong and sinful. As it says here, the passions and the lusts of our flesh, the desires of our lives, the things that we want to do, even the things that we very much think about are at opposite in enmity and war with an almighty, all-holy Perfect God, and there's nothing we can do about it. Let me pause here and just mention. In years past, I think there were lots of fake religions that were obvious. I think where we're at today in our lives, there's lots of religious-like things that are as fake. We just don't see them as religion. If you think about environmentalism for just a minute, and I've mentioned this before, what does it tell us? You are polluting the world and destroying it. But don't worry, there's hope for you. Because if you do these three things and you give money to this then you can be forgiven for your sins of ruining the world. That's a religion. You are a racist, but if you say these things and do these things, you can receive forgiveness and be restored. See, that's a religion. You, you are a, a, a sexist homophobe, but if you do these things, you can be restored. You see, all these things, no one looks at them and calls them a faith or religion, but everyone's acting as in this way, that these things are some type of perverse, uh, false uh, faith and religion. But the reality is this, that emptiness you feel inside, that that lack of wholeness, that feeling as though you deserve something, some type of punishment because you're not a good person, it's not because you pollute too much. It's not because you hate a certain person or a certain activity, it's because you are missing the very nature of God living inside of you. And until we realize that everything the world is trying to give us is some type of pseudo-false fake religion and turn to the only thing that can fill the void in our lives, we will always be unfulfilled and feel empty. We will always miss the mark. All right, thank you for putting up with that. But I don't feel like we really identify it very often. And I think once we train our minds to think about it this way, we will see it over and over and over again the next time the thing we're all supposed to agree with comes around. And we see that it's one more time yet again our society trying to plug the hole in our hearts that's God. So going back to where we're at, In times past, we walk according to the course of this world. We did whatever we wanted to. According to the prince and power of the air, we were children of disobedience. We grew up doing things that were wrong. We were sinful, lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires, doing whatever we wanted to in our mind. And by nature, we're the children of wrath. We did evil things. And if we just simply ended the story there, it would be true, but it wouldn't be the gospel, which is good news. Because what we see in verse 4 is the but. It says, but God, in the present state that we are in, but thanks, thank goodness, but God in his rich mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. God didn't have to do this. He chose to do it. God didn't save us because we are good. In His mercy, He forgave us anyway. And when we understand where we stand before God and see the truth behind it, I hope that it will compel us, as I mentioned this morning, to strive after God because He is the one who is rich in mercy. And we see the contrast, don't we? If anything, we are rich in what? In sin. We are rich in lies. We are rich in stealing things. We are rich in insults. We are rich in all manner of sins. But God is rich in what? In rich in mercy and grace and love because that's who he is. He is just. He is all these things. He is the contrast to what we are. And he is the only one who can forgive us in his mercy. He is rich in it. And if we need mercy, who do we go to? The one who has it. The one who has it, but God who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins. See, that part ties into the very end. There's nothing we can do to earn this. We're dead. Can't revive myself cannot earn salvation, but even though I'm dead, even though I'm rotting in death, in sin, he loved me first in any way and has quickened me or made me alive by his grace. See, only God can bring us back from the dead. Only God can truly take that thing that's missing inside of us and fix it for us and fix it permanently so that we know who he is. Because he is merciful. For by grace you are saved through faith. And that not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Let me read a few more verses. Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Before I deserved it. Before I even knew I would need it. Christ died for me. 1 Peter 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And the beautiful part about this is once he gives us his love and his mercy, it never ends. Lamentations 3.22 says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion. Says my soul before thee, I will hope in him. His mercies are new every day. There is not a distance we can run that we can find ourselves away from him. His mercies are new every morning. And we'll never, ever use them up. No matter what you think you've done in your past, I can tell you a story about somebody worse. Whether I know some of them personally, or they're recorded in this book, or they're recorded in the history books of others, brothers and sisters, God's mercy, we cannot outdo. Now, some of you may be asking, well, how do I obtain this mercy? And maybe you weren't asking, but I'm glad you did. We'll pretend like you did. I want to give you three examples. Whoops, not Mark. Matthew. You can turn with me if you want to. I'll move through these kind of quick. Matthew nine. Matthew nine. <clears throat> There's different styles of teaching and learning. Sometimes I won't tell you where I'm going because it makes more emphasis at the end. uh, There's probably a technical term for that. You'd think I'd know as a teacher, but I don't. So sometimes I lead you along and then demonstrate where you've been going the entire time. Other times I think it's important to tell you ahead of time where I'm going. This is one of those times I want to tell you now what I want you to look at in the next three passages. We're going to look at three accounts of one or more people who approach Jesus Christ in the book of Matthew and beg for something, specifically a healing. And when they do that, I want you to catch two very important things, one of which is they beg for mercy, mercy. And two, they identify who Jesus Christ is. I talked about this recently. I don't remember if it was Sunday night or not, but you'll see this phrase, son of David. Now, son of David has a very heavy and important connotation. These are people in the Jewish custom and tradition. No one would say son of David unless they were talking about as in God. So they were identifying Jesus Christ as God, as the Savior. This is more than just a title, more than just a saying, we think you're going to be king someday, so we're going to call you son of David. This is, in fact, calling out and admitting who he is. And, in fact, it's this very phrase, son of David, that drove the Pharisees, the religious elites of the time, so crazy that after hearing the crowd call out, they said, we've got to kill this guy. So pay attention to two things, mercy and who they say he is. Because as I've said multiple times, there's one great question in your life. Who do you say that he is? So Matthew chapter 9. We begin with verse 27. Matthew 9, 27. And when Jesus departed, hence two blind men following him, crying and saying, Thou son of David, have mercy on us. I'm just make sure and pause. I know I just said it. I'm going to say it again. Let me, let me give you the Ben Stickle translation. And Jesus departed hence, and two blind men followed after him, crying and saying, You are the true Son of God. Have mercy on us. And he was coming to the house. The blind men came unto him. and Jesus said unto them, Believe you that I am able to do this? And they said unto him, Yea, Lord. <clears throat> then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it to you. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus straightly charged them, See that no man know it. That's a whole other sermon for another day. He told lots of people oftentimes not to share the good news, but we'll do that some other time. But here's what I want us to take away from this. These men recognized that Jesus Christ is the son of God. And he is the only one who can have mercy and heal them. And they went to him and begged him, Lord, have mercy. Lord God have mercy on me. And he said, do you believe I can do this? And they said, yes. Do you believe God can save you? Really? Don't fool yourself. Be honest with yourself, because I've heard this from many people over the years. Well, God could never save someone like me. I don't agree with you. And thousands and thousands upon people in history would say they might have felt that way, but it's certainly not true. God can and will save you. God can and will heal you. But you must come to him believing that he's God. And asking for his mercy. Flip a few chapters forward. Chapter 15. Chapter 15 and verse 21. We pick up with another story. Then Jesus went hence. And departed into the coasts of Tyre and Sidon. And behold a woman of Canaan. Came out of the same coast. And cried unto him saying. Have mercy on me. Thou son of David, my daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. But he answered her not a word. And the disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she's crying after us. And he answered and said, I am not sent, but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not meet to take the children's bread and cast it to the dogs. And she said, True, Lord. Yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which falls, falls under their master's table. And Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith, be it unto thee, even as thou will. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. I preached a whole sermon on this. You can go back and find that one too. So you won't spend a whole lot of time talking about this one. It does sound rather harsh in our current culture and language today. But Jesus is teaching again a very important lesson and we should not forget that the same things are happening here. This woman identifies that he is God, worships him as God, and begs for mercy for God to do a marvelous thing in her life. And he says to her, O woman, great is thy faith, be it to thee even as thou wilt. And again, we see the connection with Ephesians It is by grace through faith. We must believe that God will do the things that he said he will do. That is very, very hard and very easy to say. You must put your faith in him. You must desire to be healed. You must see him as who he is, which is the son of God. And you must beg and ask for him for mercy to forgive you. And he is faithful and just to do it. Few more chapters, chapter twenty. Matthew chapter twenty. We'll begin with verse twenty-nine. As they departed from Jericho, a great multitude followed him, and behold, two blind men sitting by their wayside. And when they heard that Jesus passed by, I cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. And the multitude rebuked them because they should hold their peace. But they cried the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. And Jesus stood still and called them, saying, What will you that I should do unto you? And they said unto him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. And Jesus had compassion on them. And he touched their eyes, and immediately they received sight, and they followed him. Now, just in case you're not familiar with where we're at in this beautiful narrative, the next chapter he begins his descent, or ascent rather, into Jerusalem to be crucified. You would think that Jesus probably had other things in his mind, didn't he? What about all the crowd that was following along him? They didn't need anything. They're just following along. He's getting ready to have his triumphal entry, his last Passover with his disciples, the time that he'll be crucified. But in all the frenetic activity and all the busyness and all the preparation of Passover, Jesus Christ had time for two strangers on the side of the road who said, Son of David, have mercy on me. When Jesus passes by, he's never, ever too busy, too caught up in everything to see those who were truly repenting and seeking after him. They cried out saying, have mercy on us. O Lord, thou son of David. Multitude rebuked them. They cried out all the more, saying, Have mercy on us, brothers and sisters. Have you cried out only once for something? Or have you steadfastly in faith cried out repeatedly? It's not some type of magical test. Many of us can attest, I, to my understanding, cried out once and received the forgiveness was brought back to life. Amy and many others of you cried out for years. Do not give up. Recognize God for who He is, the Son of David, meaning that Jesus Christ is God. Believe, as we saw in these scriptures, that He will save you and repeatedly, loudly and consistently beg for mercy. Beg for mercy that God would forgive you from things that you cannot forgive yourself for. Beg for mercy that you can see the light and feel the warmth of who He is and have the peace that only He can give. Beg for mercy that God will wipe away your past, your current, and your future sins and reunite you with Him so that you can have the relationship as He intended it in the very beginning. Beg for mercy believe in faith that the actual son of God can forgive you because he can because he will if we would only believe and only put our faith in him so let's have a hymn this morning a time when we can call out for the mercy that only God can give Whether that's mercy for salvation, mercy for a family member, mercy for yourself, mercy for whatever circumstance you're going through, but that you would call out to God and believe in faith that he hears you, that he knows you, that he wants to give you the mercy that he has. That is a very part of the nature of who he is. Let us have a time to remember and to seek his mercy.